All right, so good to see you back at church tonight. Genesis chapter 22 is where we will be tonight. Genesis chapter 2. We'll look at a couple of uh, subtexts to go with this, but we're going to look at this story from Genesis chapter 22. And I'll tell you that, uh, I don't know about you, I've enjoyed just these first few weeks of, of looking at these names of God and just the things I've learned, the things I've been reminded of. I'm not saying I've enjoyed my preaching. I've enjoyed learning this information or being reminded of it. And uh, just as a reminder, I'll tell you, you know, we've looked at three, and uh, we're going to call those the foundational names. Those three we've already looked at. Those were Elohim, where we were reminded that he is the strong creator God. And then we looked at Jehovah, or I am who I am. That's the God who's personal, that most personal name to the children of Israel when uh, relating to God. And then last week, of course, we looked at Adonai, the God who is in control. And so tonight we shift gears just a little bit, and we begin looking at compound names of God. Now, I know that gets kind of really exciting to all of you when we start talking about we're going from foundational to compound, but it gets really good because in most of the compound names, you have the name Jehovah. You're reminded as we look at each one of these character traits that we find in the name of God, we're reminded that he's a personal God. We're reminded this isn't just some, some abstract being. This isn't just some general characteristic that is directed at the, you know, the cosmos here and there. It's a personal characteristic directed to the people of God. And it's how he relates with his people through his personal names. And I want to say before we go any further, I want to stop and tell you a little bit about how Sundays come about. Now, Brother Eric and I were real good at coordinating. Not, okay? Until I, well, I'll go ahead and tell you. This is when Brother Eric's going to find out what name that we're talking about tonight. We're talking about Jehovah Jireh. He just found that out. I found out last night what he was preaching on this morning because he tells me so I can put the sermon slides together for the live stream, the, the, uh, the scripture slides together for the live stream. I say all that to say we don't coordinate these messages. But somebody's coordinating these messages, Okay. Because this morning, as he talked about uh, Jesus feeding the 5,000, and he talked about the little bit the little boy could offer, and he talked about how, how Jesus, uh, he met that need and how he meets our needs, I had to stop and write this down. This is a quote from Brother Eric this morning. He says, we don't know where the resources are coming from or how the problem will be solved. So many times we go through life, we don't know where the resources are coming from, we don't know how the problem will be solved. That's where the disciples were, and Jesus said, well, hey, I can provide the resources, and I can meet the need. Jesus demonstrated himself as Jehovah Jireh, because do you know who Jehovah Jireh is? He's the God who provides. And so as we look at that tonight, we see that, well, when God orchestrates two sermons like this, it makes me believe there's somebody listening who needs to know that God provides. And so I hope that we'll all pay attention because we may not realize that that person is us. Tonight, we're going to look at the very first place we find Jehovah Jireh in the Scripture. We're going to find where it all starts, the foundation of this name, 
It's in Genesis chapter 22. Now, I'll tell you, we're not necessarily taking the... If you've studied these before, you may realize that we're not really taking these in the order. They appear chronologically in the Scripture. We'll circle back from time to time. Several of them will circle back to Abraham. And I have no doubt you know this story as the Sunday night crowd, you've heard the story before that we'll look at in Genesis chapter 22. But before we read it, look how it starts for context. He says, now it came to pass after these things. We're talking about Abraham. We're talking about his life. It came to pass after what things? After all that Abraham's been through. After all he's been through up to this point in his journey of faith. We're going to circle back to this towards the end of the sermon. So this is important. This is foundational to the entire message. God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to give you an heir. And through you, you're not going to be able to even number your descendants. And through you, and through all your descendants, that all the nations of the world will be blessed. And Abraham waited for that heir. You know the story. He and Sarah, his wife, waited, and they waited. And their time of waiting was filled, no doubt, with some despair. It was filled with challenges. There were times, no doubt, they, they didn't know if God would fulfill the promise. We saw that last week as we looked at Adonai. But God filled the promise. God fulfilled exactly what he said he would do. Isaac was born. Can you imagine the joy that flowed through that house when Isaac was born. After all these things, after everything Abraham's been through in his journey of faith to this point, we come to Genesis chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together, and they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. 
And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for revealing yourself through your word. Father, I pray that you would just speak to us now as we look into to who you are as Jehovah Jireh. I pray that you would reveal to us places in our life where we need to depend on you more in this way. I pray that you'd use me in whatever way you want, but let your words be spoken here tonight and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is the first time in our studies to this point that we have found the name of God as we are translating it in the English directly spelled out in the text. You see that down in verse 14. Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. Or in the Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh. That's the name of God that we're looking at tonight. It's a beautiful name. When we see all that goes with it, of course, we've already, we've already reviewed tonight the fact that Jehovah is the personal name of God. When they think of the name Jehovah, they think of the personal relationship they have with him. So it's this word, Jireh, that we really want to focus in on tonight. And we're not going to do just a lot of Hebrew word study. We're going to get to the, to the story, but it's important we see this before we go on. Because Jireh does not mean provide. When you just look at it in the Hebrew, it means to see. That's what it means, to see visually. So you say, well, why did he call it the Lord will provide when he said the Lord will see? Well, here's another way to say it. This is just the way our English translators put it here. The Lord, Lord will provide. Another way you could say this, the Lord will see to it. The Lord will see to it. That gives, ought to give us some confidence. That ought to give us some hope as we go through our life depending upon him, knowing that he will see to it, and we'll see what has all else has to go into it as we look through the story. So we put it all together. Jehovah sees it. Jehovah provides it. As one person puts it, it says, you're looking at God's pre-vision. God sees it beforehand. His pre-vision determines his provision for our life. Aren't you thankful 
For that, we can't see what's ahead, but he can, and he provides. Let's back up to the beginning of the story and walk through it, because we get to the end of the story before Abraham claims that name and says, we're going to name this place after God. We're going to name it Jehovah Jireh, so that we're reminded of this every time we come here. But as we look through the story, it didn't take Abraham till the end of the story to understand that God is Jehovah Jireh. He knew it all along. And it's evident as we look through here. What did Abraham believe God as Jehovah Jireh would provide? Well, first of all, we see from the very beginning, he believed God would provide a miraculous solution. You know, I just want to stop and say, it's okay to believe that God will provide a miraculous solution, one that we can't understand. Look in verse 5. Of course, God's told them to go. They've gone. In verse 5, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. Now, what is significant about that verse, he said, we will come back. The lad and I will come back. And he has every intention of killing the lad when he gets there. But he doesn't say, I'm going to bring the lad's body back because there won't be a body to bring back. Not once he's consumed in the sacrificial fire. So where did his confidence come from? Look at verse 10. Well, verse 10 is confirmation that he planned to kill him. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Why does he say, we'll return? He says, we'll return, but in verse 10, he's going to do what he said he was going to do, stretched out his hand so he could kill his son. Look in Hebrews chapter 11. Leave your place here. Hold your place here. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11. As the writer of Hebrews is going through what we call the Faith Hall of Fame. We won't read everything he has to say about Abraham here, but there's a couple of verses that give us really good insight into the mind of Abraham during the specific event we're talking about tonight. In Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 17, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who who had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham believed Jehovah Jireh would provide a miraculous solution to the problem. He plans to obey God. As Dr. Charles Stanley would say, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. That's exactly what Abraham planned to do. He believed, according to the writer of Hebrews, that if he sacrificed Isaac just as God told him to do, God would resurrect Isaac. What grounds did he have for that kind of faith? You go back and you read the first 21 chapters of Genesis up to this point, and nowhere in biblical history has resurrection occurred. God has not raised anybody from the dead. We don't see. So why would Abraham 
think that. Abraham's never seen a human body raised from the dead. Turn to Romans chapter 4. Paul has something to say about this in Romans chapter 4. It's never happened before. Or maybe it has. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 19. Paul says, And not being weak in faith, speaking of Abraham, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. What did Paul say? He says, listen, Abraham's old. He's good as dead. You know, he's nearly 100 years old. He's good as dead. And by the way, Sarah's womb, it is dead. It was dead. But God didn't leave it that way, did he? Abraham had already witnessed the resurrection of Sarah's womb. He had already witnessed the seemingly resurrection of himself. And it gave him confidence that if God could do that, he could bring Isaac back so that this promise is fulfilled. Abraham knew God was Jehovah Jireh, and he knew that if he stayed in the will of God, God would provide a way. And see, we have that hope today. Because Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, he says that everything he went through was for one purpose. That I may know Jesus, he says, and what? The power of his resurrection. The challenges we go through today, Paul says, if, we're, if we go through our, these challenges and we're, we're focused on God, he says we go through those and we're able to know God and the power of his resurrection. For Abraham, there'd never been a human resurrection. But because of the miracles God had worked in his life, he believed God would accomplish what he ultimately promised, and that was to bless all the nations of the world through Isaac. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you ought to have more faith than Abraham had. Because Abraham had never seen a body come back to life, and we believe. It's the basis of everything we believe. We believe that a body came back to life and his name is Jesus Christ. Knowing the hope of the resurrection, we ought to be able to have more confidence than Abraham had that God is Jehovah Jireh. The second thing we see, look at verse 6. The points speed up from here. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And Abraham said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. I can imagine Isaac's confused. The fact that he knew that the lamb was required tells us that Isaac's gone with his daddy before to offer a sacrifice. 
He knows how this is supposed to go, and there's obviously something missing in this whole sacrificial equation. But Abraham doesn't get all worked up about it. You know, I mean, I believe if I was in Abraham's position, I'd probably be pretty all worked God, I can't believe you're making me do this. You know? I can't believe that of all the things, this is what you want. Can you imagine if Abraham had been all worked up about it? Isaac probably would have been too, and he'd have figured out what was going on, and then he'd have probably been running back to Mama, right? And then Mama's probably not happy. Nowhere are we told Abraham ever told Sarah what he was going to do. She'd have probably tried to have him committed. But, uh, you know, I mean, this is a lot going on here. But because Abraham believed God was the provider, because he believed God was Jehovah Jireh, he was able to confidently model faith to his son. And the way he acted, no doubt, influenced the way Isaac acted. Never, ever underestimate the power of your emotions on the children around you. Never, ever underestimate that because Abraham knew God as Jehovah Jireh. He made a positive impact on the next generation. You know, if there's kids around, you may not think they're listening. If you're around the house, you're doing things. But they're listening, aren't they? And you know, I think there's probably more kids today that are anxious and they're worried and everything else than probably ever before. And I just wonder how much of it is because of anxious and worried behavior that they're seeing modeled. A lot of this is learned. I really believe that. We ought to never talk about our problems in front of our kids. But we ought to talk about our provider in front of our kids, shouldn't we? They ought to know where things come from. If Abraham had been all worked up about it, Isaac, this, would, this the story might not have gone quite as cleanly as it is depicted here. But you know, it goes beyond this. When the ram showed up in verse 13, I tell you, Isaac already knows where it came from because his daddy had already told him, God's going to meet this need. God's going to provide this need. We ought to be sure our kids know where our blessings come from. They ultimately come from God. But in order to do that, we got to make sure we knew. Because before Abraham could model faith, he had to have it. Abraham knew. Third point. Verse 10, we spoke about this briefly already. It says, and Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. The inflection from the text here and when you look at the, the, the Hebrew and the, the verbiage that's used here, Abraham, he drew the knife back and he had every intention of going through with exactly what God had told him to do. He was going to sacrifice Isaac there on that mountain. It didn't make sense. It didn't make sense from a spiritual standpoint because 
taking a human life is murder. It's sin. It didn't make sense from the standpoint of the covenant because God had made the covenant and he said it's going to be through Isaac. It's going to be through your offspring that all the nations of the world, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to do it through your offspring. And through this great nation, all the nations of the world will be blessed. It didn't make sense from that standpoint. It didn't make standpoint, I mean, it didn't make sense from the standpoint of his relationship with his wife. Because can you imagine? We, I said this just a minute ago. Can you imagine what Sarah would think? I don't know if she knew or not. The Bible doesn't tell us. But can you just imagine the conversation? You heard a voice from heaven and you went to kill our son? Nothing from a human standpoint makes sense. But Abraham obeyed, even though it didn't make sense, because he believed God was Jehovah Jireh. When he left home, he didn't know where, he didn't know when, he didn't know how, he didn't know why he'd do this. But he did know the one who would provide the answer to all those questions. He knew God would provide everything he needed, even though God's command didn't make sense in the moment. Warren Wiersbe sums it up like this. He says, we live by promises, not by explanations. God doesn't owe me and you an explanation, but he gives us promises if we obey. Knowing God is Jehovah Jireh allowed Abraham to obey even when it didn't make sense. One last thing. This is a four-point sermon. So it's a little, we'll call it extra Baptist. You see, when he obeyed, God provided more. Jehovah Jireh provided more than Abraham could have imagined. In verse 13, Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horn. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. Abraham got everything he needed, didn't he? Yeah. That's exactly what, that's, that's what Abraham lacked in the moment. God completely met the need. But then he didn't stop there. Look down in verse 15. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing, I will bless you. I'm going to pour down blessings from heaven upon you is what he's saying. And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed. All the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because you've obeyed my voice. Jehovah Jireh provided so much more than Abraham needed. It's like when Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could ask or think. Wearsby asks a series of questions in his commentary and gives some lengthy answers. I've summed them up for you, and I just thought this question and answers uh, series was really good to, to sum all of this up. Wearsby asks, where does God provide our needs? Here's the answer, wherever he decides. 
He may not tell us till we, he said, I'm going to meet it. That's what he told Abraham. He said, you go, I'm going to tell you when you get there. That's not the first time he's told Abraham that. When does God provide, so where does he provide our needs? Where he decides. When does God provide our needs? Not a minute before it's needed, and he's never late. How does God provide? Now, one of my first points, if not my very first point, was that Abraham was looking for a supernatural, a miraculous answer. That's not what he got. He was looking for God to end up raising Isaac from the dead. He was looking for resurrection. But what he got was a ram stuck in a bush. What he got was a completely natural solution. God provided a completely natural solution. We don't know how long the ram was there. It's miraculous in that God provided it. But it was a natural solution to his problem. To whom does God provide the solutions and the, to needs? To those who trust and obey, just like Abraham provided. And why does God provide our need? For his honor and for his glory. God's ready, he's willing, and he's able to meet the needs of those who trust him and those who obey him. Yet so many are left wondering why their needs aren't met. I trust God, and I'm trying to obey God. There's one little detail in the story I've left out. Here it is. Look in verse 13 again. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked. When did he see God meeting the need? when he took his eyes off his perceived problem and he looked up. That's when when Abraham saw that God... See, God had met the need. We don't know how long the ram's been over here. For all we know, Abraham is so focused on this problem that he walks up to the place and the quietest ram in the history of the universe is sitting over here, stuck in this bush. But Abraham is so focused on what he thinks is this problem that he just goes about building the fire and does all this and never sees the rim. And God had provided it the whole time. You know? Because, I mean, I just think he would have heard the rim get stuck in the bush had it all happened during everything else. He didn't see that God met the need until he looked up. He moved his focus from the problem to Jehovah Jireh, the only one who could provide the answer to his need. Sometimes God's provided the perfect solution to whatever you and I are facing. But we've got to take our eyes off the problem before we'll ever see his provision. One commentator says, we're not self-dependent. We're God-dependent. And the sooner we discover this wonderful truth, the sooner we'll find the provision for our redemption and our daily living. Our circumstances, I like this. This is not original to me. This is something else I found. And this is one of those quotes from a book that I said it's too good to pass up. Our circumstances never test the faithfulness of God. Can I say that again? 
our circumstances never test the faithfulness of God. They serve only to enlarge our understanding of the character of God and his purpose in our life. So put, to it, put it another way, how you respond to the circumstance reveals what you believe about God. Do you focus on the circumstance or do you look up to see his provision? Is there anything else before we go?